Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Standing Strong in Trying Times, a study of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel gives stories of faithful believers standing strong in trying times of exile and visions of the ultimate victory of God's kingdom over the kingdoms of this world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. We're going to be starting today a new series on the book of Daniel. And I will say before I begin, if you uh, did not see it, you might want to check out After Hours, another one of the resources we put out there. Uh, I did a little short introduction to the book of Daniel. This is a very unusual book for a whole lot of reasons in the Old Testament. There's a lot of things about Daniel that are seen almost nowhere else in the scripture. It's written in two different languages. It's got two very distinct sections. There's all kinds of reasons that Daniel is very unique and also very applicable to us today. And so we're going to be spending most of the rest of the year probably working our way through Daniel. And today we're going to begin by just looking at the first two verses. I assure you we won't do the book two verses at a time. Uh, but today we're going to take just two verses because it sets the context for us to understand the book of Daniel. And I want to encourage us to pay careful attention to that context. So Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it's there in your guide. It's also up here on the screen. I will be using the uh, New International Version. So hear now the words of the sovereign God. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Uh, one of the great pieces of literature of the 20th century, and it became a, a series of blockbuster movies, was the book series, The Lord of the Rings, by J.R.R. Tolkien. And it describes this great and epic war that's going on in a place that he refers to as Middle Earth. Um, and it's a time of darkness and difficulty. And in one of the great epic scenes in the book, and they captured it very well in the movies, this young creature known as a hobbit, Frodo, who's got the task of trying to get this ring to get it destroyed, but it's at great peril and risk, and it seems to be destruction everywhere, Frodo blurts out, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf, the gray at the time, this great wizard, who's very wise, says to Frodo, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world. Frodo, besides that, of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were also meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. It's a deep, dark moment. And Gandalf's telling him, make no mistake, it's not a mistake that you're here. There's a reason why you have the ring, why it came to you, and you should be encouraged to know that this isn't an accident. And I wonder, I bring this up because I wonder if Daniel 
And his friends didn't utter like Frodo, I wish none of this had happened. I wish this had not happened in my day, that I could have simply lived in the promised land, been a faithful follower of Yahweh, my God. Why did I have to live in the time of the exile? Because it was the darkest moment in Israel's history. And so it's important for us to learn. We can learn a lot from the book of Daniel as we read their story and as we hear from the visions that God gives to Daniel in this great book. And we're referring to this series, Standing Strong in Trying Times. But we have to understand and grasp the times in which they live because it's not, we, we're familiar with many of these stories, right? You know, the, the stories of uh, the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they get thrown into the fiery furnace. And we're familiar with the, you know, writing on the wall that happens, and then Daniel and the lions. And we, these are some of the most famous stories in the Bible. But we don't really understand them if we don't understand the context, if we don't understand the times in which they lived and why it's therefore applicable to us. So today we're going to just cover these first few verses because everybody who originally read this, they understood. These first two verses told them, oh, oh, I know the context. I know what's going on here. This is going to be a story of trial and difficulty. How are the people going to respond? So let's dive in and see what the Lord says. The context for the entire book of Daniel is the disaster of the exile. Now it tells us in verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. We know from all kinds of historical records this is actually 605 B.C. Now, it's kind of interesting because in the book you can get scholars argue because they had two different ways Judah and Egypt kind of reckoned the years of the kings one way, and Babylon did it a different way. But we know when it's all washed out, it's 605 B.C. And Nebuchadnezzar is actually at this time the general. He's the son of the king of Babylon, and he's over the Babylonian armies. And in fact, while he's off on this excursion that he's on that's being described very briefly in these verses, his father dies. And Nebuchadnezzar returns home and becomes the king. Now what had happened is Assyria had been the greatest empire that the world had probably ever known up to that point in time. And they and Babylon had been in a struggle. But in 612 BC, Babylon had crushed Assyria. They had destroyed Nineveh. And Babylon now was the great power. And young Nebuchadnezzar, who's soon to be king, is off and he's dealing with other powers. Because when Assyria is crushed, Egypt says, well, we're still going to stand against uh, Babylon. And Judah faithfully decides to throw their lot in with Egypt. And when Judah throws its lot in with Egypt, they're in trouble because Nebuchadnezzar marches over and he meets uh, Egypt on the field of battle in 605 BC and he crushes them which means oops we made a big mistake we threw our lot in with the loser and so it's not just Judah all of the whole Palestinian area that entire area uh, there in the Levant is now in trouble with Nebuchadnezzar and so Judah has to surrender to Babylon it means they realize that they're in trouble 
and they give in to Babylon. And this is actually the first of three times over a short period of time that Judah is going to attempt to withstand Babylon and lose. It happens in 605, it happens in 597, and then it happens in 586, which is the time that Jeremiah writes the Lamentations, that the temple is utterly destroyed, and we think of all the things that we talk about with the exile. But it actually began almost 20 years earlier, in 605. This is the first time they lose, and it is a disaster. And so notice in verses 2 and 3, it tells us what's happened here. And particularly notice in verse 3, we're told, the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. See, what happens when you lose a war is you're at the mercy of your conqueror. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar did, and this was very common back then. I want the cream of the crop. I want the best of the nobles, and I want people from the royal family, and we're going to export them to Babylon. Because this really does a few things. It cripples Judah, because the best of their leaders are gone. Secondly, before the king or any of the other nobility are going to want to withstand uh, Babylon, they're going to realize, if I do this, my own sons and daughters, they've been carried away to Babylon and they're at the mercy. They could just be put to death because I'm now rebelling. And thirdly, it helps Nebuchadnezzar because he says, I'm drawing strength from all the kingdoms I've conquered. I'm taking their best and their brightest, and they're now going to become assimilated, and they're going to work for me. If you're a Star Trek fan, it's kind of like the, the ancient Borg. It's just, we're going to assimilate everything we come into contact with and make them part of us, and we're going to grow stronger, and they will grow weaker. So at this particular time in 605, understand, most Jews stayed in the promised land. But Daniel and a few of his companions are among the nobility. They're among the best and the brightest. And so they find themselves carried off in the first wave of the exile. I'm not going to go over this in detail today, but I want you to think for a minute what that means for Daniel. It's not like you even say, well, it just befell us and everybody got exiled. No, you look around and almost everybody stayed home. Why did I get picked? Why am I drug off? What did I do to end up in exile when almost everybody else is still home and they're going on with life as they were going on with life before? Tough times for Daniel's for Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and the other people that are gone off. Now notice, secondly, he not only does Nebuchadnezzar take these people into exile, we're told he takes the articles from the temple, are carried off, and put in the treasure house of his own God's temple. They're put in the treasure house of an idol temple. And you need to understand, when Nebuchadnezzar is doing this, it's, it's put in very briefly here, but this was shattering for Israel and their faith, because wars and battles weren't just wars between the people, it was wars between the gods. And this is not just something that Nebuchadnezzar might say. Every year Israel recited that in the Passover, God had fought with and defeated the gods of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, a verse that's very familiar to every Jew, God had said, on the same night I'll pass through Egypt and I'll strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. God says, I want you to know, when I deliver you out of Egypt, 
It's not that you're stronger than Pharaoh, it's I'm stronger than Pharaoh's gods. Okay? That's why you are delivered. And Daniel and his companions every year have recited this at Passover. And that's brought great comfort to them. Our God is stronger than the gods of the nations. But here's the problem. Now we lost. And not only did we lose a little bit on the field of battle, they came into the temple of Yahweh. Pagan, idolatrous worshipers. And they took the very items we use to worship Yahweh and they carried them off and put them in the house of their God because they're saying their God made Yahweh crawl before them. That's hard times if you're Daniel. How do, how do you relate to this? It communicates that Yahweh is defeated and must bow before Marduk, the God of Babylon. How can this be? But it's worse than that. Because they tell us here where they've gone back to, and for Daniel and his companions, this is an undoing of all the history of Israel. Now, it's a little hard for us to see, but in verse 2, where it says he carried these articles off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, it's interesting, the Hebrew word there is not Babylon. The Hebrew word is Shinar. Now, in the other parts of the verse, when it says Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it is Babel. The, the, the Hebrew word is actually BBL, from which we get Babylon. It sounds just like it. This is not that word. It is the word Shinar. And they're doing that purposefully because Shinar is the area where the Tower of Babel incident had happened back in Genesis chapter 11. We need to remember, when Israel goes back and you say, when did we begin? Well, it's when God called Abram. And what's the last thing happened before that? That's when in Shinar, all the peoples of the earth had come together and they were building a tower of rebellion against God and God had to scatter them. But in the midst of that, God reached down and he called our father Abram. And he said, I want you to leave Shinar. I want you to leave this land of idolatry and I'm gonna call you to a different place. I'm gonna call you to a different land. I'm gonna call you to the promised land where you will worship me as the true God. And now Daniel wakes up in Shinar. He's right back where everything had begun. We've gone back through the kings, the period of judges, the wandering in the wilderness, the Passover, the deliverance from Egypt, all the way back, it's as if Abram never left. And here we are. Who thinks this would be a little bit hard? I mean, this is a disaster of just untold proportions. The exile appeared to be the shattering of Israel's faith and her identity as God's covenant people. They are defeated. David's son is going to be removed from the throne. The people are in exile. The temple is destroyed. The articles of worship are carried off as booty to the house of a foreign god, an idol. Where is Yahweh? What is going on? And how do we live? Do we continue as Yahweh's people? Or do we say there must be a stronger God? 
and we'll be his people. And I, by the way, I want to remind you, when this happens, Daniel's a young teenager. He's one of the kids in our youth group. And he doesn't have the adults with him. How's he going to respond? That's the story. But here's the amazing thing. The word we get is not, thankfully, from Gandalf, but from the all-knowing, all-sovereign God. And he tells us that he is still sovereign and on the throne. Notice what we're told, actually, in verse 2. I glossed over this a couple minutes ago to save it for now. We're told that when Nebuchadnezzar came, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. God is not far away. God's the one actually doing this. When you say, how can this have happened? How could Yahweh not win? Yahweh laughs and says, oh, I'm winning. I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. Nebuchadnezzar didn't win. I won. I decided to hand Jehoiakim into his hands, and I did so. And I decided to have the articles of the temple carried off into exile, and I did so. Everything has happened exactly as I chose. And it's interesting, the name for the Lord here, the, the Hebrew word is Adonai, which is a Hebrew word that stresses sovereignty. It means the sovereign one. It is the sovereign one who has done all of this, caused it all to come to pass. It is not Nebuchadnezzar. It is not Nebuchadnezzar's gods who did this. It is Adonai, the one who was sovereign over all the events that happen in Israel's life. So, one might ask and say, well, that's nice to say, but maybe the gods of Egypt said the same thing, that they had delivered Pharaoh into the hands. Yeah, how do we know? Well, thankfully, what we have is, for over a thousand years prior to this, God had been warning Israel this is what was going to happen. And it had become increasingly specific as we move along that God had warned of the exile if they broke the covenant. See, this was part of the Mosaic Covenant. We need to understand the Mosaic Covenant was a covenant of works. Do this, you'll be blessed. Don't do it, you're going to inherit the whirlwind. That's the way the covenant works. Always be grateful you're not under the Mosaic Covenant. You're not. And be, thanks be to God. I'm grateful blessing resides on me because Jesus was faithful, not because I'm faithful. Okay, you ought to thank God every day for that. But God had put it into the Mosaic Covenant. He had warned them way back in Leviticus. So this is around 1400 B.C., literally about 900 years before the exile. God speaks to them and says, uh, Leviticus 26, 33, and 34, I will scatter you among the nations and will draw up my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. The land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. Now this was part of the covenant blessings and curses. They're there in Leviticus 26. They're throughout the book of Deuteronomy, but especially in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 when the people had to sit on two mountains and shout them back and forth to one another. This is what's going to happen. God's been warning them for almost a millennia what was going to happen to the people. If they broke the covenant, God says you will go into exile. And notice here, you'll go into exile and the land will enjoy its Sabbaths. 
the land's going to get rest. Because I'm telling you, this is long before they even get in the promised land. God says, I'm telling you, every seven years you let the land rest. They didn't. They violated that from the day they crossed the Jordan. They There's no record they ever let the land have its Sabbath rest. God told them, and he warned them, and he said, if you don't, you're going to go into exile, and the land's going to get its Sabbath rest. But as we move forward, even a good king like Hezekiah, Hezekiah, in a critical moment, is faced with Assyria. This is when Assyria is rising up, and they are conquering everything around them. And Hezekiah gets nervous, and he makes an unholy alliance with another country that he thinks will help and keep Assyria away. And who is that country? Babylon. Better be careful, people of God, who you make alliances with. Be very careful who you make political alliances with. So what they do is there's a warning that comes. Hezekiah brings them in and he shows them all of the tre uh, treasuries of the temple. He shows them all of his riches. He shows them all of his people. He's trying to impress them with his might. And here's the word of Isaiah the prophet to him. In 2 Kings 20 we read, and Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace, all that your fathers have stored up until this day, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now don't miss what's going on here. Hezekiah, in a moment of testing, and he'd been warned, do not make an alliance. And he did. He made an alliance with Babylon so that he would be protected from Assyria. And Isaiah says, because you trusted in politics, you're going into exile. It's what's going to happen to you. And notice specifically, treasure and people. The same two things were told in Daniel 1, 1 and 2. See, they're drawing on all of this. They're saying, we were warned about this a few hundred years ago, God had said it was going to be Babylon. And he told us. And so now Israel, once again, has made an unholy alliance this time with Egypt because we're so prone to trust anything other than God himself. So just in passing, let me state, when God's people compromise and trust in political alliances rather than the Lord, it always leads to disaster in the coming years. And make no mistake, the American church, the American evangelical church continually goes back to this well. We simply keep doing this over and over again. It did not work for Hezekiah. It did not work when they trusted in Egypt, and it will not work for us today. It is not. Be careful who you give your loyalty and fealty to, because they will call it in. They will call in the chips. And when they do, it's trouble for the people of God. Thirdly, notice not only had God warned about it way back when the covenant was made and then warned about it through Isaiah, Jeremiah, at the time of the exile, he had been warning them, he had told them to submit to Babylon, do not try and resist them, do not lean on Egypt, it's a splintered staff, it's not going to work. They did it, and then when they got there, there were prophets that rose up and said, well, this isn't really going to happen, God's going to carry us back real quick. And Jeremiah said, they're false prophets not going to happen. You made these a holy, unholy alliances, you're going to reap what you did. And so Jeremiah sends a letter 
to Daniel and the other exiles. It's contained in Jeremiah 29. And he says this in Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Notice now, it's not just exile. It's not just exile in Babylon. It's specifically 70 years. So if you're Daniel, you realize this is going to last my entire life. That means it's going to be 536 when there's going to be a decree that comes back, which is actually when it happens under Cyrus. There's a decree that comes back 70 years later that's going to let the people go back to the promised land. And, but notice here, and this is what's key for us today, this is the word that God wants to speak to them. I know the plans I have for you. I've not fallen off the throne. I am still working for good for you, even though you are in exile. You have disobeyed. You have brought trouble on your own head. I am still with you. I have plans to prosper you. The word there is shalom. I have plans to give you shalom. In spite of the fact that you have forsaken it at every turn, I'm going to do this even while you are in exile. And then finally, I want you to notice that in the book of 2 Chronicles, it tells us specifically to link everything back up. This is so that the land can have its Sabbath rest. In 2 Chronicles 36, it says, he, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants of him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. And the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Sabbath rest was what was told all the way back in Leviticus. And then it was picked up again. Jeremiah did it and stated it. And then it's all the way forward now. The chronicler is writing at the end of the 70 years and says, make no mistake, this is all in fulfillment of what God had told us all the way back when we were still in the wilderness wandering around. The land was going to get its Sabbath rest. God had warned them for centuries and it had now come to pass. But how can that help you if you're Daniel? The question that we have to answer, why is God doing this? What is God's purpose? Is it just he woke up and he finally said, I'm sick of this? Or does he have a redemptive purpose? And the fact is, he has a redemptive purpose in the exile, and it's that he's going to get Israel to turn and seek him. Stop looking for other alliances. They're all going to be shattered, and to trust in him. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, God is laying out about the exile, and he's telling them, when you go into exile, here's what I want you to do. Verse 29, but if from there, in the land of your exile, you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. And when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God, and you will obey Exile comes so that the people of God will seek God, so they will turn to him. For Old Covenant Israel, the exile is radical surgery 
to move the cancer of idolatry and to restore Israel to her relationship with Yahweh. That's why it's there. You're in this place. Will you turn to me? Will you seek me with all your heart when you do it? And I want you to see, all this is not just me looking at these things. Jeremiah brings this exact passage up when he writes to the exiles. He writes to them and says, you guys are there. In 70 years, you're going to be there. And here's what God says. This is Jeremiah 29, that same letter. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Then you will call upon me, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30, and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Where's Jeremiah getting that from? This isn't a new word, it's just Deuteronomy chapter 4. He's saying God, God's been warning us about this for a thousand years now. This has been going on. And here's what God is calling you to do. Uh, Seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God's word is right back to Deuteronomy, 20, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. And God is saying, you are in the exile. Here's what you are called to do. Seek my face. Don't continue in your heart. See, there was a bunch of prophets there telling them, nope, nope, don't even unpack your bags. We're going back. And Jeremiah says, not for 70 years you're not. Unpack your bags. Get a job. Settle down marry, have kids, work for the good of Babylon. Pray for Babylon. Because if it prospers, if it has shalom, you'll have shalom. If it doesn't, you're not going to either. But you're going to be here for 70 years. Stop listening to those foolish prophets. They're lying to you. You're going to be here until the land has enjoyed its Sabbath rest and so this is a reminder to daniel picture you're sitting there and you're daniel and you're hearing this and you are hananiah azariah and mishael and you are hearing this and it's a good reminder that god is always working for the good of his people even in the worst of circumstances we're sitting here in the exile everything seems to be shattered but it is a clear word from god i have known this i have told you about this for a thousand years and i want you to know i am still going to be there with you and no matter how dark it seems i am with you your call is seek me now that is god's call but let's be honest that's a hard call so i want us to fast forward now and i want us to apply the word to ourselves and think through what this text means for us so i have two areas in this number one do I understand that I am an exile? Do you understand that? Now let's be clear. Daniel was in exile because of Israel's sin. And by the way, th- there's not a single sin Daniel's uh, accused of in the book that I'm aware of. D- Daniel is righteous and seeking God. He's still carried away into exile because let's not get our theology wrong. It's not tit for tat. This is like Job, okay? This is not the worst people got carried off. That's not the way it happened. Daniel's in exile, but he's in exile because of Israel's sin. If Israel had not sinned, they would be the the covenant people of God living in the promised land under a theocracy. 
And the fact they were in exile was because they had broken the covenant. But let me be very, very clear for you and me. That is not true in the new covenant. You are always an exile. Picture in your mind what would have been the nicest time to have been a Christian since Jesus ascended back to the Father. Maybe you think it's, you know, after the Roman Empire had turned and, you know, the, the emperors were Christian. Maybe you think it's in the Byzantine Empire, you know, during their glorious heyday. Maybe you think it's in the Holy Roman Empire. You think it's in the time of the Reformation. Maybe you think it's America in the 1950s. It's Babylon. Always. That's where you and I live. And you will be in Babylon until you draw your last breath or until Jesus returns. There is no escape from that. That is God's plan. Now, I say this because it's in the New Testament. Peter's letter deals with this several times. Peter's writing to Gentiles, Gentile church. And, but notice the terms he uses. He refers to them as God's people. In 1 Peter 1, 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world and it's literally the dispersion which was the phrase for the jews in exile you are scattered throughout pontius galatia cappadocia asia and Bithynia. he's bringing up all the nations because israel was scattered to the nations and he's saying look you as god's people the church you are scattered to the nations you're not israel in the promised land you're israel in exile that's your status he comes back to it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to uh, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. There is no place in the cosmos that you can go or I can go that we're not exiles and strangers. Not because of who gets elected, not because of what happens, not because of what the Supreme Court says, but because Yahweh, sovereign God, stands up and says, in the new covenant, here's my plan. You are exiles. You are aliens. And I'm with Frodo. Uh, could I have chosen a different time? Could there be a time where, how about if I'm living under King David, we're in the promised land, the government's trying to do the word of God not the time that we were called to live and actually you don't want to live then you want to live now in the time of fulfillment but this time of fulfillment means we are exiles so please hear me this is why this book is so applicable in the new covenant there is only one christian nation what is it the church we're it there is no other Christian nation. There is no other uh, elect people that can, that can claim the promises of God. It is us. And every other nation is a place of exile. Now what Israel found was, actually Babylon was not as bad as they thought it was going to be. There were times that it was bad, but there were times that the people did okay. And in fact, some of them decided they didn't even want to go back to Palestine when things were opened up. Babylon can be worse or friendlier, but make no mistake, it's Babylon. It's always Babylon. You are in exile right here in your own country, and so am 
eye. And that's what it means to be a Christian. If you're not an exile here in America, you're not part of God's people. Might I recommend to you, be part of God's people and be an exile. Accept what it means that we are actually exiles. And so that means as exiles, you and I are always going to experience pressure to compromise our loyalty to God and his kingdom. See, that's where we're going to pick up from learning in this story here. Because the, the, the key in the book of Daniel is not about Daniel. It's about God. It's not about Daniel's faithfulness. It's about God's faithfulness. And will we respond? That's how you stand strong. I'm going to go ahead and answer. How do you stand strong in trying times? Faith in Jesus. That's it. There is no other secret. There is nothing else. The goal here is not to be like Daniel. That's not the whole point of the story. The point of the story is to trust in Daniel's God. Because we're going to receive the same pressures. Are we going to respond with faith, boldness, and wisdom, knowing this is simply part of the exile? I, I look around at what's happening in our country right now, and I can commiserate with Frodo. I can say, oh, Lord, why this time? Why am I here? But you know what I take heart from? All my ways are known to you. Every path I walk, he has known from before I was born. He is watching over, and he will sustain us in good times and bad. And friends, in the land of exile, there are always calls to compromise. What we're called to compromise might change, but there is always a call to compromise. And so the first step in us standing strong, as we're going to go through this series, is simply realizing we're exiles. So when you wake up and you read the newspaper and you say, man, I feel like I'm living in a foreign country. Yes, you are. We simply are. It's just a reminder. That's what the newspaper is every day. Just swipe to the far left on your phone and say, yep, I am an exile. This place has lost its mind. There you go. And you remind yourself every day, but that's the first part we have to remind ourselves of our status as exiles. Until we are settled in our hearts, we're never going to be able to live as God calls us to live. And we're going to be tempted in that case to start making all kinds of crazy alliances and to do the very thing that got Israel into exile, which we don't want to do. You're not going to live faithful if our faith and trust is in anything other than God. So that's the first point. Second is trusting in God's sovereignty in the land of our exile. Am I trusting in God's sovereignty? Because see, that's what Daniel is. I can try to read Daniel as some kind of a manual. You know, the, the, the big phrase years ago was dare to be a Daniel, right? Try to read Daniel as a manual of how I can become strong and brave, but that's ultimately missing the point. How does Daniel survive? How do Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah survive? They don't survive because of their own strength and wisdom. They do it because God is faithful. Because see, here's the problem. Here's what they had to face every day. Every day, everything around them tells them Marduk is sovereign. Bel is sovereign. Nebo, the god of Babylon, rules over all. That's what it says every day. You and I are tempted every day to believe the gods of this world are sovereign. We are told every day, get on the right side of history. 
History's moving to this place, and you need to be there with it. No, what I need to be is I need to be faithful. Because history is moving to a place. It's moving to a place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where history is moving and you do need to be on the right side of that. Okay? But these other places we think we're going, that is all false ideas. And they're trying to get us to forget the fact that God is sovereign, he is on the throne, and our call is simply to trust and in some of the famous stories we know, that means if I'm thrown into the fire, I'm thrown into the fire. If I'm thrown into the lion's den, I'm thrown into the lion's den. If I don't live long enough to see the end of the exile, I don't live long enough to see the end of the exile. But God is faithful. And what I am called to do in my time of exile is to seek him with all my heart and soul and mind and strength that's the call that's what we're here to do and so every day when we are reminded of our status of exiles we should hear the voice of God whispering saying this is a call and a reminder seek my face today remember you have a true home and it's not here you have a a true citizenship I love that Bobby even began with Philippians 3 this morning where is your citizenship where is it it's in heaven that's where our citizenship is now we're, we're dual citizens because we're Americans okay I, I was laughing last night with some guys and talking about this sometimes I feel like I almost have to defend my patriotism because I have Christians get shocked at me okay I went to the Naval Academy at 17 joined a kind of patriotic organization known as the Marine Corps love our country raise kids who grew up and and you know did this kind of thing my citizenship is heaven my loyalty is the kingdom of god my identity is not brett hicks white heterosexual american male my identity is follower of jesus christ everything else is secondary everything else is matter of fact it's not even secondary it's not even tertiary it's whatever is airy behind that follower of jesus christ friend you are made in the image of god and you've been redeemed by jesus christ your citizenship was with him your place is with him and whatever goes on out here doesn't alter who i am that's the message this is what is told to us in these couple of brief verses that we can go by Daniel, this is where he's living. This is what he's having to grapple with. And the reason he stands strong through 70 years of exile is because God is faithful. And he knew where his citizenship really was. It was always, even when he's serving at the highest levels of government, his loyalty is to Yahweh. And the same thing must be true of us. And so we're going to come to the table this morning. And this table is the table of our home. This table is a reminder you and I belong to Jesus. That's why we come here. We belong to him. This table is a reminder that we're exiles. And our true home 
is the new Jerusalem. Our true home is a new heaven and a new earth. We are children of another age. And that's what this table is ultimately about. It's a reminder for you and I. So when I read the words that I'm going to read in a couple minutes that we do every time we come to the table, remember, we do this until he comes. Because every time we come to this table, we're not only looking back, we're not only crying out for grace for now, we're looking forward to the day that our citizenship is seen by all. And it's fully realized and recognized. I did not know Bobby was going to open with Philippians 3, but I'm going to read the very words we began our meeting with. It's almost like somebody arranged that. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes and says, As I have told, often told you before and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction and their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Friends, that, that describes the land of our exile. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Friends, if you are a citizen of the heavenly city, if you are eagerly awaiting the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're invited to this table. If you're not, if your mind is on this age, if this truly is your home, you should let it pass. Because this is the feast of Jesus Christ. This is the feast of the eternal city of God. This is the feast of the age to come. All who are citizens of that city, of that age, who are in Jesus Christ, come to the table and be reminded of your true home. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, meet us here at this table of your sacraments, that we might be renewed in our passion and our zeal for you and your kingdom and our true home. If you've got the cup, go ahead and peel back the first part and get the bread. Father, 
bread is a symbol of this life. Like the manna in the wilderness, it is your gift and it sustains our physical bodies. However, Jesus said that all those who ate the manna died in the wilderness. But he is the true bread of life, which we may eat and never die. So we come now, not for physical bread, but for the true bread of life. We freely confess that our true life is found in receiving Christ, feeding upon him by faith so that we might live eternally. We give you thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord Jesus, wine is a symbol of joy, given that we might rejoice in all of your good gifts to us in this life. But all the joys of this age are only passing shadows, for death awaits us all. But through your blood, Lord Jesus, we live forever. For your blood has purchased us, and you have conquered death. So we come now, receiving this cup of life in faith, giving thanks for the forgiveness of sins now and eternal life with you in the world to come. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Friends, let's arise together. And as I cry out, as we do each week, I, I pray you're paying attention to the pattern. We're going to cry out for the Holy Spirit to empower us and meet us as he's met us here in this sacrament to empower us to live in our exile this week. Holy Spirit, you are the Lord and the giver of life. You are the one through whom we have been regenerated and raised to life. And you are the one who calls us to our eternal home. So we call upon you now. Preserve and keep us as the people of God. Keep us pure from the sins of this evil age and the land of our exile. Remind us of our true citizenship in the heavenly city stirring up our desires for it so that we might live as faithful people in this land of our exile until we see Jesus face to face. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Brothers and sisters, go forth blessed as the people of God and be a blessing to the city of our exile. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.